Welcome to the Future Returns Business Podcast Series. My name is Catherine Matthews at Aruda Corporate Alliances, and you can tune in anytime to listen to the stories of inspiring thought leaders as we go deeper into the rich cultural and strategic matrix of doing global business. You can like or share on SoundCloud or make comment at aruda.com. Thank you for listening. Futurism and Cognitive Computing by Scaling Access to Knowledge and Scientific Inputs to Provide Aggregated Data Enables Healthcare to Be More Effective. This is the Holy Grail for Medicine in India, according to Dr. Sanjeev Bagai. Dr. Sanjeev Bagai is at the forefront of clinical medicine, digital health and research and publications in medicine. He's deeply connected with technology, both as digital smart and medical technology. He's also a healthcare professional in clinical medicine, Pediatrics and Pediatric Nephrology for over 30 years. Dr. Sanjeev Bagar is the Vice Chairman and Director Dean of Manipal Hospital Dwarka in Delhi. He's a leading expert in clinical medicine, renal dialysis, transplant and antenatal intervention. Dr. Bagai also touches on India's state of emergency on air pollution, immunisation, organ transplants and energy supply for hospitals in this interview. Being in the medical management and administration leadership position for over a decade. Alongside the clinical medical arena, together with Manipal, they have created a world-class digital hospital in Delhi. This iconic facility has advanced radiology and imaging, laboratory medicine and diagnostics, stem cell therapy, digital technology, radio frequency identification technology, sensor monitoring and computer control building management systems. In addition, artificial intelligence and virtual reality Augmented cognitives are some of the other digital platforms they have included. For example, virtual walls to allow surgeons to view medical images without physically handling the images to reduce cross-infection. The doctors will be able to inspect the 3D images by moving their hands in the air. Now, if you listen to AJ Kathari's podcast, he mentioned it was not his heart attack that created the angst, but the fact that the surgeons were overzealous to meet their financial hospital targets and put him under the knife without informed consent. Now, Dr. Bagai believes technology across all aspects of medicine will lower medical errors. Digital health is the way forward to make health for all with it being accessible and affordable. The unprecedented and dynamic revolution in India's healthcare system reflects Prime Minister Modi's larger strategy for the health of the nation, albeit physical or material. Dr. Sanjeev Bagai is the recipient of the highest awards, acknowledging his credentials as a practicing medical doctor, business administrator, and academic. I don't think any award is uh, of any significance. It actually it's pale in significance as compared to some of the successes which you get in clinical medicine. And I think some of them have been so rewarding that everything else pales into insignificance. But amongst the medical arena, I think the Dr. B.C. Roy Award is recognized as the highest honor for medical professionals in India. And of course, the Padma Shri is is highly valued and most of us are humbled having received it. The former award that you just spoke of, can you just elaborate on that, please? Dr. B.C. Roy Award is instituted in the name of Dr. B.C. Roy. He was one of the pioneers of healthcare in India. 
and his birthday and his uh, date of death coincides on 1st July and 1st July in India is also celebrated as the doctor's day so almost about 35 40 years back post his unfortunate demise so the government of india recognized his service for for especially in women and children in uh, east india and instituted award of under his name of dr bc roy award so it's a national state award it's given by the president of india you've been practicing medicine for numerous years and you've been treating children what have you noticed in the last 12 months what ailments seem to be presenting themselves more so than any other medical condition that you've seen prior or during your medical profession what would probably stand out is hmm tough one is uh, probably three uh, i would club them one would be uh, respiratory ailments increasing incidence of bronchitis asthma wheezing chronic lung conditions even in smaller infants and children second would be a rising incidence of environmental related health issues which again comes under the gamut of uh, what we call as ncd that's non communicable diseases so that would also include respiratory but cardiac in ailments in children neurological psychological childhood depression anxiety disorders panic attacks uh, skin ailments ear infections and a lot of a lot of it is uh, related to pollution and uh, when we talk of pollution we generally only focus on air pollution but i think uh, all over the world soil pollution is extremely important which contributes back into the air and uh, in the developing nations it's plastic and plastic is a known carcinogen it has uh, uh, it is called as anti hormone and it has a disastrous effect on growth and most parts of india have now start have started putting a ban on comprehensive use of plastic What does the toxic air actually do to the brain function and growth in a child when they're exposed to such, you know, environmental factors? So air as such uh, contains different uh, there are different ingredients to pollution as air as uh, uh, you would call it. So one is the suspended air particles what we call as particulate matter. The second is the gases and the dangerous gases are sulfur dioxide uh carbon monoxide carbon dioxide nitrogenous compounds and of course third are very clearly what we call as biological uh factors so these cause changes in our dna so there are things which are clearly carcinogenic in the air because of pollution so these three main ingredients uh, cause a great impact and uh, it's important to note that 80% of a child's physical growth potential has been achieved before the second birthday and uh, 50 to 80% of a child's brain potential capacity has been attained by the time the child is 5 so what this causes neurologically is decreased attention span irritability loss of memory psychological issues behavioral disorders anxiety uh, depression in children which very often people fail to recognize mood swings children are also uh, independent identities and this toxic air does cause great bit of damage not only to a developing brain but even to the developing fetus i introduced you as a nephrologist and also as an administrator can you just explain to our listeners exactly what you do during your working day in nephrology in especially with pediatrics uh, nephrology as a branch in pediatrics has come up about 25 years back or 30 years back 
really internationally it has come of age now and uh, nephrology itself is now subgrouped in various divisions so we have uh, what we call as renal replacement therapy which we call as dialysis and then transplant now we have things like transplant immunology then you have chronic kidney diseases then you have acute kidney diseases acute kidney injuries rather and then you have something which we call as antenatal diagnosis so a lot of fetal renal conditions are picked up when the baby is still inside the mother's womb so in the last 5 or 7 years we've gone very heavily into development of that field and we tend to identify fetuses which are at risk and very often there are fetal interventions antenatal interventions to save the life of the developing baby and very often immediately post birth there are operative procedures or interventional procedures which can save the ultimate life of a kidney and the child when we start talking about kidney function are there specific vitamins or nutrition that actually a mother can be conscious of or be mindful of to ensure or try and be at least preventative of such uh things occurring with their fetus see maternal health has a almost 100% impact on overall fetal development which includes the fetal kidney development but uh, all vitamins all trace elements and all minerals are contributory factors uh, for the renal development of the fetus amongst the most important ones i would probably say is thyroid is vitamin d calcium these are all important factors which take part in tissue growth but on the other hand there are certain known risk factors which a mother should stay away from because they cause they cause syndromic damage to the fetal kidney so things like fetal alcohol syndrome uh, smoking in pregnancy drugs as substance abuse in pregnancy certain anti convulsants so things like valproic acid or dilantin there are other kinds of medicines for seizures so these are specific things which we tend to avoid during pregnancy do you undertake um, many kidney transplants during your uh, working day yeah kidney transplants is something which is uh, coming up very rapidly as far as development of this field is concerned in india there are still uh, more than probably 300,000 renal transplants which are required in India annually and not more than 10 or 12,000 which are done so there is a very big backlog as a list but it's a big 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 development field in the near future is there a register of donors like in australia and obviously in the western world there is a register does that exist in india yeah in india we have very strict transplant laws which is good in a country which is developing like ours in which uh, a living related donor transplant is legally allowed uh, so a cadaveric transplant is still not allowed unless until the person is of the same family and there is a ethics committee approval so in reality organs cannot be sold in india so there is a there is very strict guidelines which we have to follow and uh, we have to adhere to it you would obviously be aware i know this is a contentious issue obviously when prisoners sell half their organs can i have a comment from you about that in terms of either kidney donation do you believe that that is a growing market i think per se in india organs for sale for financial remunerations is not allowed but having said that these are 
country-related domain issues which involve legislative issues, executive issues, uh, very big ethical issues. So I think it's very uh, region-specific. There are some countries which do not allow certain types of transplants and there are certain countries which allow but not in cadaveric and so on and so forth. Just going back to paediatric health, there's been a lot of debate in Australia with regards to immunisation and the fact that most of the time it seems to be coming top down from pharmaceutical companies obviously pushing their particular vaccine. What's the status of immunisation amongst young children at the moment? What are the statistics and do you see that as something that is critical to the health of the population? I think immunisation is is a fundamental birthright of all child in an age group. So we have uh, what we call as uh, international recognized uh, immunization program, which has been modulated by Indian Association of Pediatrics. There is no debate on immunization because most of them are are clear-cut, FDA-approved. They've been used internationally in the market for decades together. There is some amount of debate in some Western countries about the rational or irrational use of MMR and things like that versus autism. But I think that's been shunted down. The vaccines are safe. And uh, there are certain vaccines which are, uh, in fact, worldwide recommended for cancer prevention, say, for example, in children for against uh, HPV, human papillomavirus. So I think vaccination is extremely, extremely important. In India, the coverage of vaccination, especially in major metros, amongst, amongst a reasonable educated segment of population would be close to 80-90%. But the lacuna is in rural India, where the percolation of awareness of preventive health is still reaching. So there I would probably say an overall coverage of immunization will be around 50-60%. But things are changing very, very quickly. With the union budget, which was handed down on the 1st of February 2017, what are your thoughts or comments with regards to the involvement or the, I suppose, the distribution of funds from the government into the health budget? I think it's a, it's a good move forward. India so far has been one amongst, in the full world, one of the lower spenders as far as the percentage of GDP on health is concerned, less than 1%. But this year, the government has increased the healthcare budget by 27%. So from 37,000 odd crores, it's gone up to 47,000 odd crores. There's a big focus on preventive healthcare. There's a big focus on women healthcare and uh, safe deliveries. There is a massive focus to bring uh, maternal a mortality ratio from 160 down to 100 in the next three years. There's a big focus on preventing uh, mortality deaths in infant, what we call as infant mortality rate, from 39 down to 28. That's the aim in the next three years. So I think the intent is good. Now the proof of the pudding is in the eating and we as healthcare workers have to push it. You're also an administrator and I know that you're involved in the development of a new hospital, the Manipal Hospital. I've been witnessing some of the, some amazing digital transformations that are occurring in the digital health space. Would you care to elaborate in terms of some of the things that you will see when we walk in to your new hospital? I think technology and digitalization is is the greatest revolution which has taken place in healthcare. It's one of the most essential marriages which has to stay. It has clearly transformed clinical care as well, as far as better clinical outcomes are concerned. It gives better patient care as far as patient experience is concerned. It gives smarter building technologies, smarter technologies to prevent uh, hospital-acquired infections, to prevent wrong diagnosis, to prevent 
improper utilization of OT space. So I think it's clearly a step forward in the correct direction. And in our proposed hospital, which is going to be launched middle of this year, you'll see a big part of this. You also spoke of the fact that you're incorporating Watson as part of that digital health space. Can you elaborate a little bit more about how you're going to use Watson in uh, in the healthcare? Yeah, Watson is uh, a part of, of a larger umbrella known as uh, artificial intelligence. So that's already been procured by Manipal last year. I think it's a, it's a good move. Uh, so far, it's being focused primarily on oncology cases. But I think Watson has a big role, not only in oncology, but cardiac and in neurology and in other fields. It helps you think better, think quicker and eliminating errors. You also showed me a particular slide there in your presentation about even when you have a root canal, there'll be perhaps some sort of uh, device put into your tooth. Can you elaborate a little bit more about why someone would bother to go and do that in terms of the overall health care and information collection of that particular patient? Yeah, I think uh, sensors uh, are of various types. So there are skin sensors, there are implant sensors, there are embedded sensors, there are ingested sensors. But sensors per se gives a 24 by 7 real-time predictive analysis. It gives a real-time capture of data. And one of the devices which is used as an embedded sensor is actually in a tooth during filling of the caries tooth or as an implanted in root canal. So it gives you the volume of water you drink in a day, the salt which you've ingested, the sugar which you've ingested. Sensors give you a real-time capture of temperature, pulse, respiration, saturation, blood pressure, and so on. So for remote monitoring, for handicapped patients, for geriatric patients, for chronic kidney, chronic liver patients. This is a big boon. They can be monitored while the patient is at home through the command centre in the hospital. India is really at the forefront of this telemedicine. I'm just absolutely blown away by the fact that uh, there is this uh, real move towards that digital health space. How many generators are you actually going to be putting around your hospital to ensure there is connectivity in that digital health area? I think electricity in most parts of of India, especially the metros and in hospital designated areas as sites, is not a problem any longer. Mm -hmm. But as a backup by uh, building laws, bylaws of the of the local authorities, you have a given minimum sanctioned load which you have to provide as a backup. So that has already been provided. Also noticing even in CT scanners, uh, children who are regularly afraid to go into such a confined space will be able to view moving pictures of their choice like Pokemon or whatever. How important is that in terms of patient care to alleviate those fears of, of a child going perhaps you know, or into an operation? I think not only for children but overall even for adults but more so for children. I think the psychological impact of illness and hospitalisation hasn't been paid so much attention to till now. So we have things which take away the attention of children away from pain, removes the fear, does not create a barrier between a white coat doctor and a child. And you have things like an amphitheater or a digital theater in a CT or an MR, which takes the child's attention towards that and away from the procedure. So it decreases the procedure time, it eliminates uh, the total dose of, uh, or reduces the total dose of anesthesia. And overall, there's a well-being, feeling of well-being amongst children. 
You operated and were part of a magnificent team with the co-joined twins. Now moving into that digital space, that operation which took place several years ago and now with the implementation of digital uh, technology, how much would that operating time be reduced as a result? We operated on this uh, conjoined twins known as Sita and Geeta in 2010. So it's a good seven, eight years back. Uh, but I think with the digital technology, uh, we took almost close to, uh, if, I'm, if I'm correct, about nine or ten hours. Uh, there were a team of about 27 or 28 doctors which operated nonstop. Uh, but I think clearly the operation time with the digital technology would clearly reduce by about 15, 20% if it is done in today's time. There's a bit of a connection between uh, your particular profession and the city of Adelaide in which I live. You actually visited Adelaide about 20 years ago and you mentioned that that was one of the top three children's hospitals in existence uh, in the country. What was it about the Adelaide Children's Hospital that really brought to mind about how important paediatrics is in healthcare? I think focus on children, the concept of uh, accurate medical layout, focus on uh, the care of children, needs, simple needs like having a room for breastfeeding, children playroom area, concept of having a play therapist, concept of music healing in children, giving ambient space for a child to play during the course of recovery. I said, I, I clearly feel that these are things which very often are missed because we keep thinking of clinical, clinical and more of clinical, but the psychological and the rehab and the recovery part is not focused on. So some of the leading hospitals worldwide really pay a lot of attention to this and clinical outcomes are better therefore. Okay, just to finish up, when it comes to health, the health industry, how can other countries such as the US or Australia play in terms of the academic sharing of knowledge with India's hospitals and academic institutions in this particular space? How can those countries perhaps work collaboratively and what area do you see as a particular space that could see further growth in relationships with other countries? I think growth is in collaboration and innovation. Both of them are important. I think as much as India needs the West, the West needs India. I would say as far as technology and advances and research and fewer finer procedures, US and countries like Canada and US and UK may be slightly a couple of years ahead of India. But on the same hand, the wide spectrum of clinical cases, tropical diseases, rheumatic heart diseases, still infections like tuberculosis, meningitis, the type of clinical uh, spectrum of cases which you see here, not only for trainees, but even for senior doctors, is perhaps unmatched. So I think uh, both countries always will tend to learn with each other. But now through the digital technology, the world has become really small. And uh, we have linked more and more in terms of various kinds of collaborations with many institutions between India and the West. Thank you very much for your time, Dr. Baki. Thank you.